Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Thursday, February 21st, 2013 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, City Operations and Neighborhood Services Committee. My name is David Campos, and I'm the chair of the committee. We are joined today by uh, committee member, Supervisor Norman Yee. The vice chair of the committee, Supervisor Eric Marr, is en route. And we are joined today as well by uh, one of our colleagues, Supervisor Malia Cohen. The clerk of the committee is Eric, uh, Derek Evans, and covering for Mr. Evans today is Andrew Osbury. And we want to acknowledge the following members of SFGTV staff who are covering the meeting, Mark Bunch and uh, Nona Melkonian. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, Mr. Chair. Please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today may appear on the March 5, 2013 Board of Supervisors agenda unless otherwise stated. Thank you very much. And Madam Clerk, if you can please call items one and two together, please. Item number one. Ordinance amending the police code to prohibit possession of cell law enforcement or military ammunition. Item number two, ordinance amending police code to require reporting ammunition sales of 500 or more rounds. Great, and this is, these two items have been introduced by Mayor Lee as well as Supervisor Malia Cohen, so we will turn it over to Supervisor Cohen. Supervisor. Thank you, thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, colleagues, for hearing these two very important items. As many of you know, Mayor Lee and I joined with Chief Sir and other community leaders um, and healthcare leaders to announce this legislation late last year. These two ordinances build upon steps that our city has already taken to combat gun violence. Currently, the city law restricts the sale of enhanced ammunition, legal, uh, lethal ammunition, such as hollow point bullets or military grade ammunition. However, what the law doesn't restrict is its possession. Now, we also have existing regulations that require anyone selling ammunition within the city limits maintain records of their sales, that which, uh, which are required to be available for inspection <coughs> at any time. But no city law requires any reporting of these types of sales by vendors that do not have locations inside the city and county of San Francisco, but sell to city residents. Now, these two ordinances before you today attempt to strengthen our existing city regulations in a number of ways. I'm going to detail them. First, the first ordinance proposes to restrict not only the sale but also the possession of types of ammunition that is manufactured to have enhanced lethal properties or is designed by only military personnel, excuse me, designed for use by uh, pers military personnel. Some of these types of ammunition include anything under sold, anything sold under the brand name of Winchester Black Talon, which is ammunition that was designed with sharp prongs or talons to cause significant injury upon impact. Any ammunition that has similar characteristics to Winchester Black Talon, any ammunition designated by its manufacturer for sale to law enforcement or military agencies only, any ammunition that serves no sporting purpose. Any ammunition that is designed to expand upon impact or disperse barbs to other objects that are intended to increase the damage of the target. Now, the ordinance is also required by the police department to create and maintain a public database of brands and product lines of ammunition meeting the definition of this ordinance. The second ordinance 
the second ordinance would actually expand on the city's existing record uh, requirements by requiring that any person selling 500 or more rounds of ammunition to someone in a single transaction uh, that they must report this sale to the chief of police within 24 hours. Now this reporting requirement would extend to any persons or entity that uh, who sells ammunition within the city or who delivers ammunition to city addresses. Now as a supervisor who represents the southeastern part of San Francisco uh, neighborhoods, I know all too well about the impact of uh, senseless gun violence and that, can, that they can have on our communities. Now while this legislation is not, not a panacea, um, it is another tool for us to use in our efforts to address gun violence. Since introducing this legislation, our, my office has received significant support from members of the community, clergy, and other advocacy groups that have been working on gun ammunition legislation for years. Unfortunately, they couldn't be with us here today um, but here in this hearing, we do have a, a very important advocate. Um, um, we've got Captain uh, O'Leary from the police department, as well as we have a representative from uh, the mayor's office that will be speaking on this item. Dr. Andre Campbell sent me a text, sent me a text this morning with regrets that he's not able to attend this particular hearing, but has been on record as a uh, supporter of this particular piece of legislation. And for those that don't know, Dr. Campbell is the head, uh, a trauma surgeon, uh, head of trauma surgery at San Francisco General Hospital and has provided a lot of insight and guidance to helping us craft this legislation as well as shedding lights on the impacts of, of what, this, uh, what these bullets do to human bodies. Mr. Chair, I'd like to turn the meeting back to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Supervisor Cohen. And uh, I'd like to ask the mayor's office if, uh, uh, on behalf of Mayor Lee, if uh, they want to add anything. Yes, please. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Jason Elliott from the mayor's office, uh, members of the committee. Um, SFGTV, if I could just get the uh, overhead. I I'm, I'm not going to repeat anything that Supervisor Cohen said. Thank you, Supervisor, for your leadership and for partnering with the mayor uh, on this initiative. Just, I, I want to just show a couple quick visuals and I'll be out of the way. Um, these are uh, on the first ordinance that Supervisor Cohen discussed. These are hollow point bullets, hollow point on the bullet. Um, but we're not proposing to ban the possession of all types of hollow point bullets, just specific cases that Supervisor Cohen mentioned. You can see these barbs here. Uh, this is really what we're talking about. And when this bullet impacts, this is what a normal, what you could call a normal hollow point bullet looks like when it impacts. It, it sort of flattens out. But these barbed bullets that we're, we're talking about banning possession, this is what they look like when they flatten. The, they barb. And these barbs cause significant damage to internal organs, as Dr. Campbell uh, testified early. The, the, these little barbs here make surgical repair uh, effectively impossible. Uh, on a victim, and, and these are uh, these are the types of bullets uh, that we're intending uh, to ban possession of. So I just wanted to share those those visuals. Uh, thank you very much. I'm I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, I also wanted to. Well, I'll just I'll turn the meeting back over to you. Thank you, Mr. Thank President. you, thank you very much, Mr. Elliott, uh, and thank you to the mayor and Supervisor Cohen for the leadership on this issue. I see that we have Captain O'Leary from the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, and I'm proud to say a former Ingleside Station police captain. So uh, good to see you, Captain O'Leary. It's good to see you working on this issue. So the floor is yours. 
Okay, thank you very much. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. Uh, good to see you again, uh, Supervisor Campos. Uh, the San Francisco Police Department uh, stands in support of both uh, pieces of legislation as they will enhance public safety. Uh, my experience with firearms uh, in San Francisco has been over the last three decades as a police officer. I've seen countless uh, shooting victims, and I can tell you that the injuries caused by shootings go beyond uh, the physical injuries. They go into psychological damage as well. Uh, I also can tell you that uh, over the years, uh, over the last 30 years, I've seen uh, shootings go from one or two shots fired to multiple shots fired. And this kind of ammunition, uh, ammunition being introduced into uh, these shootings would cause more havoc in the community. And therefore, we stand uh, in support of the legislation to uh, eliminate uh, the sale of the, these certain type of bullets and as well as asking those that sell the bullets to report more, the sale of more than 500. Thank you. Thank you, Captain. Colleagues, any questions for the Captain? Okay, uh, let me just uh, make a, I don't know if, if there's anyone else, Supervisor, you'd like to uh, bring up. Uh, let me just make a couple of points before we turn it over to public comment. Uh, you know, I, I th I'm very proud of, of the fact that we have this legislation before this body. Uh, I think it's something that we should be very proud of, and I actually think that this is a very measured approach uh, to the rising problem of having too many guns uh, on the streets. Uh, my understanding of the Second Amendment and how it has been applied in, in, in the regulation of ammunition is that when it comes to regulating ammunition, uh, there is a different test when the ammunition is not commonly used uh, in the public. Uh, in this case, we're talking about a, about a very narrow type of ammunition that has a military purpose. And the purpose is really uh, to uh, uh, create additional injury and harm to an individual. Uh, and we're not talking about banning other types of, of ammunition that could be used for self-defense. So I actually think that this is a very uh, measured approach that really strikes the right balance between the concerns that some people have about the Second Amendment and the public safety concerns that, that we have. I also think that providing information uh, is important, and, and the, the law actually does not even prohibit the sale of 500 rounds. It actually simply requires that, that the police chief uh, be notified. And uh, I think that as a matter of public safety, uh, that is a very reasonable, reasonable request. So uh, I'm glad that uh, Supervisor uh, Cohen and Mayor Lee uh, have taken the lead on this. I want to thank you for your leadership. Uh, I think that this is something that is on strong legal footing, and uh, I think it makes sense that San Francisco lead the way on this very important issue. Supervisor Yee. Thank you, uh, Chair Campos. Um, I, I just want to echo your, your words um, in saying that I deeply appreciate um, Supervisor Cohen and the mayor's uh, leadership in, on this issue. Um, I grew up in periods in San Francisco. There's different periods in San Francisco where violence hit different neighborhoods, and I grew up in during that time when um, Chinatown was hit with it. So um, I, I just I think this is a, a very, as you say, a very balanced approach to how we can do things legislatively to make um, make the city safer for our residents. And again, thank you very much. Thank you. 
Supervisor Mark. Thank you. I, I also wanted to thank Chief Sir and uh, Captain O'Leary as well for supporting this. Um, and I reemphasize um, Chair Campos's point that this is narrowly tailored. It's very limited in how it's protecting the public safety. And I also just wanted to say that I think this is really important right now and really commend um, Supervisor Cohen and the Mayor's Office for bringing this forward right now at this time. Um, I do have a question about types of bullets, but I'll ask the Mayor's Rep, uh, Mr. Elliott, later um, whether other types of hollow point bullets are appropriate and why we're limiting it to barbed hollow points because it just seems that if there's no sporting purpose or other purposes for other types who I, I have a question of other types of bullets and their use, but I'll, I'll talk to you offline on that one. But I really commend um, Supervisor Cohen for this effort. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Why don't we open it up to public comment. Uh, I have a number of speaker cards, uh, but any member of the public who would like to speak on this item, please come forward. Uh, Robert Green and Don Dutel. But any member of the public who would like to speak, please come on up. You each have three minutes. Uh, <clears throat> good morning, Supervisors. Uh, my name is Robert Green, and I want to start by saying that I own no firearms or ammunition, uh, but I stand in opposition to these ordinances. Um, I believe that the one prohibiting uh, certain the possession of certain sales of ammunition is flawed and uh, would little, do little, if anything, to enhance public safety. And I urge a recommendation to do not pass. Uh, it would require one specific round is identical to another round because even though it directs the police department to maintain a database of prohibited ammunition, it also says that failure to do so uh, cannot be used as a defense against a violation of the ordinance. <coughs> Uh, it also does not allow to anyone to retain possession of what would become prohibited ordinances, um, prohibited ammunition after the ordinance becomes effective, and it provides no means of disposing of ammunition. For instance, if someone is cleaning out their father's attic after he's deceased and finds, you know, Winchester Black Talon that he has stored, there's no provision for disposal of that without risking jail uh, and a fine. Uh, it also makes no uh, exceptions for someone traveling through San Francisco, say from Daly City to Sausalito, would force them into the East Bay and up to San Rafael in order to be able to not risk jail and a uh, fine. Um, in terms of the reporting sales of uh, 500 rounds of ammunition, I would like to thank the authors for the proposed changes to 615A4 and B, which make it clear that the record-keeping requirements would apply only to um, vendors that have a physical presence in San Francisco. However, I'm curious as to how San Francisco would actually have the authority to regulate interstate commerce by requiring out-of-state vendors to report to the chief of police. Um, I'm concerned that the chief of police believes that the purchase of 500 rounds of ammunition by anyone, quote, raises a red flag to law enforcement, unquote. Uh, it's not uncommon to go through several hundred rounds of ammunition in a single outing to the range. And as with many things, it's often cheaper to purchase in bulk than it is to buy, you know, 50 rounds at a time. Um, 
I would hope that the chief would be more concerned with the purchase of ammunition by prohibited persons rather than an arbitrary number of rounds by anyone. Um, so I fail to see what added benefit there is since uh, vendors in the city are already required to maintain records of all sales. I fail to see what added benefit there is in emailing directly to the chief of police. So I applaud the changes to 16 A4 and B. And Thank you, Mr. Green. Next speaker, please. Uh, good morning, supervisors. My name is Don Detell, and I have a question on this law. Has there been any demonstration from the previous legislation that has helped law enforcement in any way to, by the district attorney, where we have people who are caught with firearms or even using firearms in the city? And if this legislation can demonstrate where it's filling some holes or something like that where people are getting off, I think it, all citizens would have to look at it. Unlike the other speaker, I do own firearms and I do use them. And a ban on firearms that the city already has for ammunition that does affect sporty, uh, sportsmen. And it's very difficult to have components shipped to us here in San Francisco. There are many, many uh, uh, vendors who just do not send ammunition into the San Francisco area. And uh, 500 rounds is not an excessive amount of ammunition if you shoot at a range or if you do uh, varmint shooting or anything like that. So um, Supervisor Yee spoke to the West Twin Peaks last month, and he was very good in saying that he would like to have people work with him, and he's open, and I would be happy to offer my services to make sure that we do go after the misuse of firearms, whether, however it is. So again, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Is there any other member of the public who would like to speak on this item? If so, please come forward. Um, I did put in a um, card. Oh. Um, my name is uh, Michael Nolte. I am the Executive Director of Alliance for Better District 6, a district-wide improvement uh, organization that addresses land use and public safety concerns. And our uh, uh, public safety chair has looked at the legislation and is in support of it. I just uh, want to point out that uh, District 6 has, uh, has seen a lot of suicides and I mean homicides uh, in, the re in many years, and, it, and, and we were impacted by gun violence, and we believe that uh, anything that could be done to defer, deter any additional uh, gun violence in our community is always uh, welcomed, and so I applaud this legislation. Or we do, the organization, both. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Nolte. Next speaker, please. And if you'd like to speak, if you can please line up. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. My name is Douglas Shep, and I've lived in San Francisco for 61 years. I think uh, the police chief would rather have more help in a different way. I would like to make a useful suggestion, which most people oppose. I would suggest that any use, especially illegal use of firearms, be a mandatory federal offense, uh, also, a mandatory jail time. The reason why I say that is because some of us have looked at the example of Chicago as one of the most strict gun control laws 
Everybody knows how many homicides go on there. Even the youngest children are victims, unfortunately innocent victims, but yet many areas do not make it a mandatory federal offense, and they also don't make it mandatory jail time. So I think if we did that, rather than saddle Chief Sir with a bunch of papers to take care of and to keep track of, I think that would rather help uh, what we're trying to accomplish here. I think what we should do is to look at areas around the country that don't have gun violence, because if I were a criminal and I was considering robbing anyone, if I somehow thought that the other person had a gun somewhere in the house, I think I would think twice before I tried to rob anybody. Even if you have a diligent dog, I can still shoot the dog. But if I had any sense that somebody was carrying a legal, legal gun under his jacket, I would think twice before I would try to commit any crime. And if I were a criminal and I knew that it was a mandatory federal offense and mandatory jail time, I would think twice before pooing a gun, even a fake gun. I think that's the kind of help the police need rather than just papers and fancy words. I say if you want to help the police, make it mandatory jail time and mandatory federal offense, and we'll see how many people end up in jail. And in regards to people that complain that there aren't enough jails, I'm very familiar with different jails around the country that are just begging for more inmates. They may be pro the type of jails run by private corporations, but I know of one jail that is literally empty looking for business. So I would say, why don't we ship all the people there? Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other member of the public who would like to speak? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, Supervisor, do you want to add anything? Supervisor Cohen? Thank you. I just wanted to um, speak to one or two points that, one, that, that was raised in public comment to the gentleman that used the scenario as, uh, as to what to do with uh, if you're cleaning out your father's attic and you come up with any kind of pieces of uh, ammunition. Just want to let you know that the police department is ready and able to, to take that off your hands. They can receive ammunition as well as firearms. And um, also remind people that we're not banning uh, anything. Actually, I think Supervisor Campos phrased it very elegantly. It's a, it's a, it's a, I think a very healthy compromise here. Um, not banning the sale of firearms or the sale of, uh, or restrict the sale of, um, of ammunition merely when it is coming in via mail or if you're purchasing it that it you, that there's a certain requirement that you must um, that the vendor must re must report this to um, to the police department um, and that's that's all I wanted to speak on I don't know if the mayor's office wanted to add anything okay thank you supervisor Cohen and it, uh, let me add you know for me uh, this is an issue that I personally have been working on for many years uh, a number of years when I started working for the city as a city attorney uh, it was because we had filed a lawsuit against the gun industry because of some of the irresponsible practices that they were engaged in. And to add to what Supervisor Cohen, I think that on a number of points, 
on the issue of the database. I think that anyone who's familiar with the police department, Chief Sir, uh, Captain O'Leary, knows that the police department will do as good a job as any in, in creating that database and maintaining it and making sure that it's as robust and as accurate as possible. Uh, I also think that, you know, the point was made that why don't you focus on, on non-prohibited persons being able to, uh, you know, not purchase uh, ammunition. The reality is that we have uh, a system that is broken uh, nationwide and that, in fact, some of the horrible incidents that have occurred involve people that legally had the right to, to purchase. And so that's why I think it's really important for us as San Francisco to take this very responsible and balanced approach. And the last thing that I would say is that if you're using uh, uh, these kinds of uh, weapons for sporting purposes and you're buying 500 rounds of ammunition, uh, then you should not be afraid of the chief of police knowing that in fact you are purchasing. Uh, I, I still don't understand why someone would need to buy more than 500 rounds, but it's not being prohibited. And if you're not doing anything wrong, anything illegal, the fact that the police chief is aware of it should not be a problem. So colleagues, we have two items before us. If we can get a motion on the Oh, Supervisor. Can I just ask a quick question to oh, Captain yes, O'Leary? Um, we've received a number of emails and correspondence, um, some really angry calls, I know, to our office, probably the other offices. And there's only two from the Richmond District, but I did want to ask the questions to Captain O'Leary. Um, one person is claiming that hollow point bullets are important and the most effective in stopping a threat in a self-defense situation, and he's claiming that um, self-defense use of these types of bullets is important. And another resident um, claims that the 500-round limit unfairly penalizes competitive and recreational shooters like herself in the outer Richmond district. And I'm just wondering if you could just respond to those um, concerns from my constituents in the Richmond. Sure. Um, in regards to the first comment, I, I would uh, respond that it's uh, not the bullets where you place it uh, that uh, assist in your defense. And on, on the second uh, part, I do understand that a person has um, sporting interests that would call for the use of more than 500 rounds. And uh, I think that is something that uh, this board should take into consideration uh, when they're arguing it. Uh, it's possible that uh, given the fact that um, there are very few uh, target ranges in San Francisco. Captain, is the Pacific Rod and Gun Club, is that the only one in the city or are there others? Well, I, I, the, there's the police range and there are uh, other police ranges that uh, other agencies have in San Francisco, but I think you're right in saying that. Okay. Uh, I, I think the best answer is that somebody that's uh, interested in uh, more than 500 rounds could uh, make a purchase at the range uh, that they're going to use the rounds. Thank you. Supervisor Cohen. Thank you. I actually would just like to make a motion that we move these two items forward with a positive second. Okay. So we have a motion. Uh, if we can take that uh, without objection. Thank you very much. Thank These items much. will be moved forward. Thank you again to Supervisor Cohen and Mayor Lee. Thank you. Madam Clerk, thank you for members of the public who came to speak on this item. If you can please call item number three. Item number three. 
Item number three, resolution authorizing the Department of Public Works to accept and expend a federal grant in amount of $797,000 for the Slope Boulevard Pedestrian Safety Improvements Project. Great, thank you. Uh, item three is an item that has been introduced by Supervisor uh, Yee. So, Supervisor. Sure, thank you very much. As many of you know, I have made a pedestrian safety a key issue of my office. Uh, therefore, today I am very proud to be sponsoring this resolution to start addressing pedestrian safety needs of District 7. This grant will provide pedestrian beacons and enhance pedestrian crossings at three of the most hazardous intersections along uh, Slope Boulevard, which is also part of the Highway 35 system. The grant is for $797,000 for improvements to Slope Boulevard at the intersections with uh, Everglade Drive, Forest View Drive, and 23rd Avenue, which together with the $130,357 that the Transportation Authority will be considering at the March 19th Plans and Program Committee totals to $927,357 for engineering and construction. This money will be used to install curb, curb outs, curb ramps, and medium improvements along at a Slope and Everglade, Slope and Forest View, and install wireless overhead flash beacons at Slope and 23rd and Slope and Forest View. These three intersections alone are responsible for almost 20% of the collisions on Slope Boulevard over the last five years. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, is there anyone from the uh, Department of Public Works or presenting? Yes. Good morning, Ananda Hirsch. I'm the Transportation Finance Analyst with DPW. And all of my talking points have pretty much been covered on this, <laughs> but I am joined by the project manager, and we'd be happy to answer any questions if you have any. Great, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Supervisors, any questions? Why don't we open it up to public comment. Any member of the public who would like to speak on this item, please come on up. You, I don't have any speaker cards on this item, but you're free to come up. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. My name is Douglas Yep. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity to thank uh, Supervisor Yi for this uh, very good idea. Let's be honest. I travel on Sloat every day, and my car gets a big workout from all the potholes. In regards to pedestrian safety, when you cross Slope Boulevard, it's very easy to step on one of the cracks and broken areas in the pavement. So I think that also has to be addressed in addition to the changes uh, already mentioned uh, for this uh, resolution. Now another thing is that along Slope Boulevard, they had reduced the number of lanes in order to accommodate bicycles. Now, I thought it was kind of interesting that they repaved the bicycle lane but did hardly any improvements for the traffic lanes. And since pedestrians have to cross those areas as they normally jaywalk across Sloat anyway, I think that that needs to be addressed as a safety concern. So I think it was a mistake paving over the bike lane and not improving the obvious uh, stretches along slope that really need to be improved. 
Now, another thing along Sloat Boulevard is that I was wondering whether they had considered uh, taking down any more trees uh, near Sigmund Stern Grove, because if I remember correctly, some of them had been mentioned as possible hazards in the future. So since we're talking about pedestrian safety, when we have the concerts at Sigmund Stern Grove, I think we should also consider checking to see whether uh, Rec and Park have uh, diligently uh, taking care of those possible hazards because, like you say, anybody that dies is going to sue the city. So needless to say, we need the money for other reasons. Thank you. Thank you. Before we continue with public comment, I know that we have a number of uh, folks that have come into the, uh, to the hearing room, and we welcome a lot of young people who are here. And I would ask folks, uh, for purposes of fire safety, if you could please take seats. Uh, uh, we, we want to avoid people uh, standing around the, the, the entry points, uh, but we're very happy and proud to see so many young people attending uh, this committee. Uh, we didn't know that we were so popular, but it's good to see you in City Hall. Uh, is there any other member of the public who would like to speak on, on this item, number three? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, so, uh, Supervisor Marr? Thank you, Chair Campos. I just had a question. My twin brother lives very close by this area, and to, to Ms. Hirsch, who just um, gave us a little bit of a presentation, um, I see that it's the area from Lakeshore Plaza, the edge of Lakeshore Plaza, to roughly right before maybe 23rd Avenue, and I'm just wondering why that area was chosen. I do notice the new bike lanes, as Mr. Yup had mentioned, but um, it's an $800,000 um, um, Grant, it seems it's retroactive, but I just have curiosity about why this stretch was chosen and how it enhances the improvements that have been in the past, like the bike lane. Certainly. So these intersections were chosen in conjunction with MTA and the, based on their pedestrian safety and traffic expertise, <coughs> largely because of the need as well as the fit with the funding source. These highway safety improvement grants require a very um, data-driven cost-benefit analysis, so it's very specific to the kinds of accidents that have happened and the kinds of treatments, and then the value they are given in terms of reducing accidents, and that's how we selected these particular intersections. Um, also, since I'm here, I just wanted to speak briefly to the comment about repaving the road, which is within Caltrans jurisdiction, and they do have a repaving project which is slated for 2014. And we are working to coordinate this work with that repaving project to minimize disruption to that area. Did that? Yeah, cover thanks, Ananda. Thank You're you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Supervisor Yi. Yeah, I, I just want to um, alert the public that um, thank you, Mr. Yip, um, for being concerned about pedestrian safety in District 7. And we are going to have a hearing on pedestrian safety for District 7 uh, sometime in March. And I welcome people to, to come and, again, um, to express and articulate their particular concerns so that we could get a robust sort of discussion of what our priorities should be and how we would approach uh, solving some of these issues. Thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, so colleagues, if we can have a motion on moving so, this item forward. So motion by Supervisor Marr, if we can take that. Without objection, this item will be forwarded with a positive recommendation. Madam Clerk, if you can please call item number four. 
Item number four, hearing to consider the issuance of a Type 42 on sell beer and wine public premises license, 1425 Folsom Street. Great, thank you. So this is uh, a matter involving a, a request for the issuance of, uh, of a beer license and uh, it involves property located in District 6. So if we can hear now from the uh, applicant. Good morning, board. Uh, thank you uh, for your time once again. Um, my name is Jordan Lewis. I'm one of the owners of the uh, Folsom Street Foundry Art Gallery. I wanted just to state uh, I'm a recently returned veteran where I served uh, uh, for eight years as a Navy SEAL. Um, uh, we have an additional speaker, uh, Gene Mack, who uh, I also serve with in the Navy SEAL teams. Um, once again, our space is going to be a, a showcase for the emerging field of uh, digitally created artwork um, displayed in our energy efficient monitor arrays that are going to offer a changing uh, a dynamic experience with uh, the emerging field of uh, concept artwork. We also plan to offer an inviting environment for the neighborhood with wireless internet and a beverage selection including coffee, tea, juice drinks, as well as beer and wine. Um, and a small uh, selection of uh, local snacks such as sourdough bread and, and cheese. Uh, we have been in contact with uh, um, the office of our district supervisor, Jane Kim, through her office and they've been very supportive and helpful. We've also been in contact with the police department, uh, speaking with uh, Captain Redman, the captain of our local station, Southern Station. A little bit more on outreach. Supervisors, members of the public. You can speak into the mic, please, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, supervisors, members of the public, my name is Case Lewis. I'm Jordan's brother, business partner, and uh, attorney. Um, and I'd just like to speak about some of the outreach we've been doing um, throughout the last year of our build-out and permitting process. We've uh, been reaching out to local businesses, residents in the neighborhood. We've gotten a positive uh, response. Um, we've recently begun circulating a petition uh, we have here today with uh, 52 signatures on it. Um, uh, also, uh, we've received nine letters of support from local business owners, law enforcement and residents um, in our surrounding community. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have copies of all those yet, but I've got copies here. I'd like to see them. Um, we, uh, uh, about a week ago at the uh, last meeting of the Alliance for Better District 6, we presented our project to the community there um, and the members and uh, discussed uh, different things we could do um, with them and our project. Uh, we've also joined the Alliance for a Better District 6 as a business member. Um, we've joined the South of Market Small Business Association as a member to get more involved in the business community and uh, 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 you know, associations of uh, District 6. Um, as my brother mentioned, we, we met with uh, Sony, uh, Sonny uh, Aragulo, um, staff member to Jane Kim to discuss our project. Um, and uh, we received a uh, positive response. Great, thank you. Anything else, sir? If you can identify yourself, too. Morning, board. Um, my name is Gene Mack. I'm also one of the business partners, um, former veteran. Uh, I personally pounded the pavement to get this petition uh, signed by all uh, 52 uh, signatures, and everyone we spoke to was very excited to have us, uh, and they could uh, envision us coming in as a, as a positive force uh, for the community um, to bring about um, more awareness culturally and uh, and uh, commercially. So I just want to say thank you for your consideration. Great. Thank you very much. And this is an item that actually came before the committee before and uh, and we continued it to give uh, uh, 
the parties an opportunity to do outreach to the district supervisor and to the community. So we appreciate those efforts. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank you for, 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 for doing that. So why don't we open it up to public comment. Uh, I have two speaker cards, but any member of the public who would like to speak on item four uh, is free to please come up. Michael Nolte and A.J. Monet. Hi, um, my name is uh, Michael Nolte. I'm the Executive Director of Alliance for Better District 6, a district-wide improvement organization that addresses land use and public policy. At our last uh, alliance meeting, uh, we uh, heard from the uh, applicant uh, about their project, and uh, we were welcome to have him attend and discuss in detail about what his project is about. And uh, uh, the uh, members were very supportive of it, and uh, we were very encouraging to uh, hear that uh, uh, a new business will be opening up in the South Market area, and uh, we look forward to seeing that happen. And uh, uh, we also uh, would encourage his business and, of course, uh, to uh, re continue reaching out to the neighbors because uh, that's just uh, you know, what they should be doing anyway. So uh, I think that, uh, again, our organization is always in support of a new business. Uh, and we know that it takes a lot of resources and time to get something to, off the ground. So again, um, clerk can say we're in favor. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Nolte. Next speaker, please. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Aja Monet, and um, I, I had a chance to meet um, the owners, uh, a couple of them at least, um, at the last um, Alliance for a District, um, Better District 6 meeting. And I, and I think it would be good um, for that area because that area um, is a corridor anyway, I think, for, um, um, for cocktails and art and stuff like that. So um, I wish you would pass it on to the board. Thank you. Next speaker. Supervisors, my name is Otto Duffy. I'm also a rank and file member of the Alliance for a Better District 6. I'm in no way a member of the leadership of that. I would just like you to keep in mind continue to keep in mind as we move forward in this meeting this proposal that you just heard. Thank you. Is there any other member of the public who would like to speak on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And again, I want to thank the, the partnership that has brought this application forward. Uh, I'm also uh, very cognizant of the fact that we're talking about veterans that are, that are you know, uh, starting this business. I think it's great to see that. And uh, you are going to a very special neighborhood. It's a great, great place in San Francisco. And we give a lot of deference uh, to the district supervisor and the community. And in this case, you know, that they are supportive. So we, we wish you the best and hope that you continue to be engaged in that community. Uh, supervisor Mark. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you for reaching out so quickly as well and um, to Sonny and Jane Kim's office and then also just the range of people on the petition. It's a range of ages as well and I can't wait to see what the Folsom Street Foundry is going to be. But it sounds like you've built some community support already but keep, keep reaching out and, and building goodwill among the, the residents there. But thank you so much for all the hard work in the short amount of time that you built this. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. So colleagues, if we can have a motion. Motion by Supervisor Yee. If we can take that motion to move this item forward. Actually, do we need anything from the police department? Do you want to say anything? 
Yes, good morning, Supervisors. Inspector Rich Van Cole from the Police Department. Um, I wanted to know if you wanted me to read into record the conditions. Yes, please. Go ahead. I'm, my apologies. Uh, Christina West, on behalf of Lewis Case Ansley, has filed an application with the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control seeking a Type 42, which is on sale, beer and wine bar license for 1425 Folsom Street. For the purposes of this hearing, the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control seeks a determination from the Board of Supervisors as to the approval or denial of this license. From the calendar year March 2011 through March 2012, there was one call for police service and no records of uh, reports. This premise is located in Plot 242. The applicant's premise is located in a high crime area. The premise is located in Census Tract 178, and this uh, location is in an undue concentration area. We received, or the Alcohol Beverage Control Unit has not received any letters of protest or any letters of support. Based on the recommended conditions for this license, there is no opposition from Southern Police Station. The Alcohol Licensing Unit recommends approval. The following conditions have been recommended to the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control. Number one, sales, service, and consumption of alcoholic beverages shall be permitted between the hours of 4 p.m. and 12 a.m. midnight each day of the week. Number two, the sale of alcoholic beverages for off-sale consumption is strictly prohibited. Number three, loitering. Loitering is defined as to stand idly about, linger aimlessly without lawful business, is prohibited on any sidewalks or property adjacent to the licensed premises under the control of the licensee as depicted on ABC Form 257. Number four, no noise shall be audible beyond the area under the control of the licensee as defined on ABC Form 257. And finally, number five, the interior lighting maintained therein shall be sufficient to make easily discernible the appearance and conduct of all persons and patrons in that portion of the premises where alcoholic beverages are sold, served, delivered, or consumed. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I just want to make, make it clear. I see that there had a couple of additional speaker, speaker cards. So if, if there's any other member of the public who, who did not get an opportunity to speak on this item, please come forward. Okay. Uh, I want to thank again our police department as well for their work on this. And colleagues, we have uh, an item before us. If we can have a motion on this item, motion by Supervisor Yee. If we can take that without objection, moving this item forward with a positive recommendation. Congratulations and good luck. Madam Clerk, if you can please call item number five. Item number five, hearing to consider that a transfer of a Type 21 off-sale general license for 135 Powell Street. Great, thank you. And this is uh, uh, a license uh, application that involves a property at 135 Powell Street, which is in District 3, and we have, we have been joined by the District 3 Supervisor, President David Chu. Uh, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, colleagues. Um, I think what would make sense is if the uh, project sponsor would like to make an initial presentation. Uh, and colleagues, I've just circulated to you a letter that represents uh, an agreement uh, and a set of discussions that I have had with Walgreens uh, over the last week to resolve this matter, uh, which I hope and believe will be better for the neighborhood. Uh, but perhaps after the presentation, we can talk about uh, the substance of what we've just discussed. Thank you, Supervisors. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you this morning. My name is Dave DeVincenzi. I am a district manager with Walgreens, and the store at 135 Powell is under my supervision. And we wanted to talk to you this morning to describe what our project is like. We are going to, Powell Street is going to become 
the flagship store will be the fourth city in the United States to have a flagship store in our company, and it's going to be at 135 Powell Street. Um, our store is going to occupy um, the store, the level that we've been in, plus uh, an upper level where a diner used to be. Um, and we are putting every new concept that our company has to introduce into this store. Um, we are having an emphasis on our, our health care uh, provisions. We are also having a major emphasis on providing fresh food and groceries to the neighborhood um, in an area that we feel is pretty much underserved um, by um, uh, the availability of, of such items in the area. Um, we will be having a uh, the downstairs will be what we call an upmarket concept. We will have uh, a variety of foods, offerings. We'll have frozen yogurt. We'll have a barista that will be able to make fresh, uh, fresh order coffee um, for people. We'll have uh, fresh baked bread on the premises. Um, and we'll be offering um, uh, frozen yogurt. We'll be offering many, many um, uh, types of offerings that have never been seen in a Walgreens store before. I can't emphasize enough how unique this store is in our company. And as again, it's only the fourth city in the United States that we're putting one in. We have them in New York, Chicago, and we recently opened one up in uh, Los Angeles, the Hollywood area. Um, we'll, have a up, we'll have what we call a look boutique, a very upscale cosmetics department upstairs, um, uh, which will uh, sell high-end cosmetics. And uh, we hope to be able to attract a great uh, deal of traffic into our store. Um, our hours of operation of the store will be from 7 in the morning until midnight, seven days a week. Um, and if there's any questions, I would be more than happy to answer any questions that anybody might have. Supervisor Marr? I was going to mention, Dave, that I was, now that I recall, I was at the Hollywood Walgreens, and I see what you mean about a flagship store that's different than your typical ones. It's near a chicken and waffles place that's a really popular place, but it brings, it brought, brings a lot of um, more, um, I think, safety to that area as well. But I know that that's a, so I've seen one of your flagship stores. So this would be the fourth of the flagship stores of Walgreens? Yes. Okay. If I could address the safety um, comment that you made, Supervisor. Um, as I said, we're open 7 to midnight. We are going to have um, security on-premises on both floors from opening until closing seven nights a week. I'll also have an additional security guard manning our closed-circuit TV. Right now, our plans call for approximately 65 closed-circuit TV cameras in the store, plus two on Powell Street, uh, one, you know, each pointing in different directions. The store itself will have windows uh, on, the, on the main floor that will be open and unobstructed from the floor to ceiling. So really, it will allow a lot of light uh, to come through on the sidewalk during the evening hours. And our, what, our upmarket concept is a, is a, a gondola that's, or a, a unit that's very well lit. So I believe that we're going to really provide a lot of extra lighting onto the street, um, such as similar to what Uniglo has done in their flagship store next door to us. So I just want to make that comment, too. And I do want to just thank uh, Walgreens and their team for meeting with me. And I know that uh, they have been uh, making efforts to reach out to the district supervisor, as we know, as we can see, and, and to the community. Uh, I think that the options that are offered are very exciting. I know that for the cosmetics boutique, uh, I know many women and men who will be excited to have that addition to, to the neighborhood. So, um, uh, so I appreciate the effort, Supervisor. Thank you. Uh, uh, supervisor Yee. Yeah. And likewise, you know, thank you for meeting uh, at my office. Um, 
I'm really glad to see that you worked out something with uh, our supervisor for this for this particular district, and and um, that I'm, I'm happy that you're that Walgreens has been a good neighbor to uh, the community, and I hope you continue to be a good neighbor with some of the other issues that Walgreens may have in other districts, uh, including District 7. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that that will be the case. You, you, you know it well, Supervisor. We, I think we've got a pretty good track record in that respect. Okay. President Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So, uh, colleagues and to members of the public, I want to take a moment and summarize the conversations we've had over the past week with regards to this liquor license. And let me first preface my comments by saying that this particular site uh, is on the border of District 3 and District 6. And in fact, until redistricting, it was actually in Supervisor Kim's district. And after redistricting, it was in mine. And I want to uh, let our colleagues know that I've had conversations with Supervisor Kim, and the two of us are uh, certainly in lockstep as far as how we viewed this issue. Uh, and let me also say that I am absolutely supportive of uh, and have been very supportive of every aspect of this project with except for what had initially been proposed around the liquor license, which I'll explain in a second. But I'm very excited about the vision of the flagship store uh, and look forward uh, to not only that store opening, but hopefully uh, we will be visiting that store uh, at different times of the day and, and, and look forward to seeing uh, the positive economic activity that that will entail. I also appreciate the fact that the store is going to be bringing in uh, almost three dozen uh, new union jobs into the city. and, uh, and and I appreciate that as well. Uh, the issue that I had raised with Walgreens, and I very much appreciate the work and the conversations that we've had uh, in recent times on that, has to do with whether or not, uh, in general, drugstores ought to be uh, receiving liquor licenses. And this has, had been, this has been a subject that I know the Planning Commission has discussed from time to time. I have seen in my district and colleagues, I think you have probably seen in yours, uh, Walgreens, CVS, and other drugstores asking for liquor licenses, particularly in neighborhoods that have a high concentration of liquor licenses. Uh, and so I asked Walgreens to address this concern. A couple of months ago, this committee and the full board uh, approved a liquor license for a drugstore within my district not too far from this particular uh, proposed drugstore, uh, the CVS site at the uh, corner of Cala and Hyde, which was the former Cala food site, is now the Trader Joe's site. And the agreements that we put around that liquor license involved, uh, first of all, a number of additional conditions to what had been initially proposed by the San Francisco Police Department. And then on top of that, uh, my neighbors had asked for CVS to, uh, to replace, if they were going to move forward with a new liquor license in the area, to replace uh, two other liquor licenses from the neighborhood because in my district and Supervisor Kim's district, we have a very significant concentration of liquor licenses uh, that have led to a proliferation of public safety issues, health issues, etc. And so uh, what we had agreed on with CVS at that site, uh, again, not too far from this Walgreens site, is that uh, CVS would purchase two liquor licenses from the neighborhood in return for moving forward with the liquor license that they had. So it would be a net positive. Um, and I have circulated a letter, uh, colleagues, to you uh, that lay out the conditions that Walgreens has agreed to with regards to this site on a number of fronts. And first of all, I want to thank Walgreens uh, for making a similar commitment to what I just described uh, happened at the CVS site. Uh, and if I could just read the language so that members of the community can understand what we're talking about. Um, 
in the third paragraph of this letter, it states that Walgreens has held several meetings with members of the community based on feedback from, this, from these meetings. Walgreens has not only agreed to purchase a liquor license from within the Tenderloin, but has also agreed to purchase a second off-sale liquor license from a premise located in a census tract with undue concentration in either District 3 or District 6, the districts directly abutting the flagship store at 135 Powell. And Walgreens is further committing to neither use nor resell this license to a retailer located within these areas of undue concentration in districts three or six. Now, at this time, I understand Walgreens has uh, executed an agreement for one of these licenses, but not the second. And in order to make sure that Walgreens uh, carries forth with that, which I fully believe that they will, uh, they're also committing to completing the purchase of a second license uh, no later than nine months from the date of the issuance of the license to the flagship store. And if it turns out that Walgreens is unable to complete the purchase by that deadline, they've agreed to make a donation to the San Francisco Public Health Foundation for each month that lapses after that deadline until the purchase has been completed. And I again want to thank Walgreens for your commitment in moving forward with this structure. In addition to that, um, Walgreens has agreed to the conditions that we had laid and asked CBS to agree to uh, some months back, and I want to summarize those conditions, but I want to call out two in particular because I know that these have been of uh, concern from folks in the neighborhood. First of all, uh, the initial square footage commitment that had been made was that no more than 10% of the square footage of the premises would be used for the sale of adult beverages. Uh, as you can imagine, colleagues, this is a large store. 10% actually re represents a fairly large footprint, uh, and Walgreens' intention is not to have uh, more than 4% of their square footage be used for the sale of adult beverage, and that is a condition that I've asked to be put into uh, the voluntary conditions related to this proceeding. The other issue I want to call out before, before reading the other voluntary conditions um, is the issue around when these uh, alcoholic beverages are sold. Um, I've received feedback uh, about what had been initially proposed of a midnight uh, time for the when the sales would end. Um, and there have been some concerns raised given that Union Square and the Tenderloin area have a number of clubs uh, that we often see a lot of activity related to. And, uh, and the issue had been raised of, of club goers uh, or other folks uh, late at night wanting to purchase alcohol, being able to do that at the site uh, up to midnight. Uh, the CVS site that I had referred to before had a 10 p.m. closure time uh, for their liquor sales. And what we've agreed to with Walgreens is the following, uh, that during the uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights when we see the most activity, uh, that sales of alcoholic beverages will be permitted uh, between the hours of 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. And then for other days of the week, uh, frankly, much more quieter days of the week from Sunday through Wednesday, uh, that sales of alcoholic beverages shall be permitted between 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. Um, in addition to those requirements, let me just uh, run through other requirements to, again, make this site parallel to what we did at the, at the CBS site. Um, we have asked for and Walgreens has agreed to conditions that all wine bottles be secured to ensure that an individual must make a purchase using valid identification. Um, a third item is that, uh, or a second item is that all store cameras must be monitored by on-site management and Walgreens loss prevention teams. Uh, we would also ask that there be interior security cameras installed within the store, concentrated in the area of adult beverages, monitored during store hours by designated security personnel, and made available to the San Francisco Police Department for a minimum of 30 days upon request. 
that there also be external cameras to be installed and operated focused on the perimeters of the store with the output of those cameras shared with the San Francisco Police Department upon request. And again, we know this is a neighborhood that is uh, oftentimes, particularly on the weekends, a higher crime neighborhood. We've also asked that all checkouts are equipped with electronic scan detection systems to control the sale of age-related products and to prompt cashiers to require proper identification. Um, and then two additional requirements, uh, one around loitering to ensure that they will be prohibited in the adjacent sidewalks and that store management is responsible for site security during hours of operation. And that finally, the store will provide a posted phone number to report site vandalism, loitering, or other concerns uh, and that individuals that report issues uh, be responded to within 48 hours and graffiti and vandalism will be removed within 24 hours of reporting. Uh, I know that many of these conditions are conditions that Walgreens understands to be within uh, all of our interests and uh, not just Walgreens and the neighborhood and I greatly appreciate uh, the addition of these conditions. And, and with these conditions, colleagues, uh, I'm happy to support uh, moving this forward out of committee and I know that our colleague from District 6, Supervisor Kim, uh, is as well. Thank you, President Chu. Uh, before, I know that you have the speaker cards, but before we do that, I wanted to ask our police department if they wanted to add anything. Morning, Supervisors. Rich Van Cole for the San Francisco Police Department. In addition to the conditions that Supervisor Chu mentioned, uh, I'll be a little more specific on the, uh, the quantity and the types of alcohol that they will serve. Uh, Daniel J. Kramer has filed an application with the California Department of Alcohol Beverage Control seeking a Type 21, which is an off-sale general package store license for 135 Powell Street. For the purposes of this hearing, the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control seeks a determination from the Board of Supervisors as to the approval or denial of this license. Between the calendar year July 2011 and July 2012, there have been approximately 127 police calls for service at that location which resulted in 37 police reports generated. That particular plot is located in plot 174. That plot had a recorded 766 police incidents recorded in 2011. That the applicant premise is located in a high crime area. The premise is located in census track 0123.01. That particular location census track is located in an undue concentration area. There's approximately four recorded letters of protest with the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control, and there is approximately 14 recorded letters of support with the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control. There's no opposition from Tenderloin Police Station. The San Francisco Police Department Alcohol <coughs> Liaison Licensing Unit recommends approval. The following conditions have been recommended to the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control. Number one, which has been modified, sales of alcoholic beverages shall be permitted between uh, Sunday through Wednesday between the hours of 10 a.m. and 11 p.m. and Thursday through Saturday between the hours of 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Number two, which has also been modified, no more than 4% of the square footage of the premises will be used for the display of alcoholic beverages. Number three, no noise shall be audible beyond the area of under control of the license. Number four, the petitioner shall be responsible for maintaining a free of litter the area adjacent to the premises over which they have control. 
Number five, the exterior of the premises shall be equipped with lighting of sufficient power to illuminate and make easily discernible the appearance and conduct of all persons on or about the premises. Additionally, the position of such lighting shall not disturb the normal privacy and use of any neighboring residences. Number four, loitering. Loitering is defined as to stand idly about, linger aimlessly without lawful business, is prohibited on sidewalks or property adjacent to the licensed premises under the control of the licensee as depicted on ABC Form 257. Number seven, no person under the age of 21 shall sell, sell or deliver alcoholic <coughs> beverages. Number eight, the sale of distilled spirits, spirits in sizes smaller than 200 milliliters is strictly prohibited. Number nine, no sales of malt liquors or ice beers. Number 10, beer, malt beverages, or and wine coolers of 16 ounces or less cannot be sold in single containers <coughs> and must be sold in manufacturer's pre-packaged multi-unit quantities. Number 11, no wine shall be sold with the alcohol content greater than 15% by volume except dinner wines which have been aged two years or more and maintained in cork bottles. 12, wine shall not be sold in bottles or containers smaller than 750 <coughs> milliliters. 13, uniform security shall be present on the premises during the hours of sales of alcoholic beverages. 14, the peti petitioner shall utilize electronic surveillance and recording equipment that is able to view the outside of the premises, including all entrances and exits, and that is actively monitored and recorded. The, this electronic surveillance shall be utilized during our operating hours. Said electronic recording shall be kept at least 30 days and shall be made available to the department and police department upon demand. Note, uh, as of today, Katie Kincaid was contact contacted on behalf of the applicant who agrees with the recommended conditions. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, Supervisor Mario, do you have a question? Yeah, actually, thank you, Inspector, for the um, information. I I did want to say that in our file is one letter of protest, um, but uh, quite a few letters in support from TNDC and a number of other agencies. But I'm just wondering if you can give us um, a little bit more information about the three other letters of opposition. I see one from the Alliance for Better District 6. But if I what may refer to my file. Thank you. Actually, it looks like two of them are from the, the, it's a reproduction of the Alliance for Better District 6. That's, so there might be one duplicate for an opposition letter. If you'd like, we can go to public comment and then yes. give you an opportunity to review the file. Or actually, officer, do you? The letter that uh, you have for the, uh, is that from the Alliance for Better District 6 dated March 7, 2013. And then the letters we have protests against alcohol were received uh, by the Alcoholic Beverage Control and um, 
This was submitted by uh, uh, on uh, October 26, 2012. Do you have a copy of that one as well? I can provide you with that. And then uh, I'll look for the other two that are in opposition for that. Great. Thank you. Uh, President Chu. And, uh, and before we go to public comment, I just want to respond to Supervisor Marr. Um, the letter that you've received from Walgreens was in part um, our attempt and our conversations to really address the concerns that have been raised, uh, first and foremost around the concentration of liquor licenses. I think before the commitment that Walgreens has made, uh, one could say that at best uh, the impact on the neighborhood, which has a high concentration of liquor licenses, was going to be neutral. And I think now with this commitment to buy a second liquor license and move it out of the neighborhood, it will be a net positive. There have also been uh, issues raised around the total square footage of the alcoholic beverages, uh, and that commitment uh, has gone down from 10% to 4%. And then the hours of when sales would occur uh, have been brought back to make sure that, uh, particularly on late night hours involving uh, the typical Thursday, Friday, Saturday night club scene, that that would be uh, more restrictive so that uh, those sales would end at 10 p.m. so that we wouldn't, for example, uh, as has been raised by some constituents, see folks that are heading to the clubs and wanting to dip into Walgreens to, uh, to purchase a little bit to, uh, to help them have a happier night. So uh, these were meant to, to address those concerns, uh, and, and with that, uh, why don't we go to public comment. Let me call the following individuals, uh, Lauren Hall, Doug Gary, uh, Dina Hilliard, uh, Michael Nulty, Susan Bryan, uh, Aja Monet, Edward Al-Ghani, and Susie Wong. Hi, uh, greetings supervisors, good morning, good almost afternoon. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me. My name is Lauren Hall. I'm the co-director of DISH, Delivering Innovation and Supportive Housing. We provide property management services to 450 tenants, most are in the Tenderloin. We have five buildings there and, and one in, uh, in Supervisor Compass's district now, I believe. Um, I, uh, I'm here to testify in support of Walgreens. Uh, I'm really excited to have this new flagship store in our district or close to our district. I've worked in the Tenderloin for about 15 years, and uh, one of the biggest challenges that I see for our tenants and other community members is the lack of fresh food in the neighborhood. And I have found that in my uh, understanding from the representatives from Walgreens that their commitment to providing groceries and fresh food at an affordable price is going to be a great boon for our tenants, who many of them do shop at Walgreens for a lot of their day-to-day -day, uh, needs. And I think having prepared food, as many of you know, a lot of the SROs that we operate don't have full kitchens, it's very difficult to procure healthy food. And so I think Walgreens is going to be a big asset. In terms of the alcohol sales, I appreciate the dialogue around it, but honestly, in my opinion, I don't see adding, you know, I appreciate the effort to sort of take away one of the licenses, but I also feel like alcohol proprietors in the neighborhood have a choice of whether they're going to be an asset to the community or whether they're going to be negative. And I think there's a huge difference among proprietors of how, how they operate their alcohol sales. I've seen many proprietors who are selling really cheap, really terrible stuff to people who are incredibly intoxicated. And I don't believe from the conversations I've had with Walgreens or my experience day to day with sort of larger stores like that that have a commitment to the community that, that it'll be a problem. So I appreciate the dialogue around it, but again, I don't, I don't share the belief that it's gonna be a negative impact on the community to have alcohol in that store. Uh, selfishly for myself, as someone who spends the majority of my day in the Tenderloin every day, I'm, I'm excited to have another option for shopping there. And so I would just wanted to offer my support and I hope you'll support it as well. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning, Supervisors. I'm Doug Gary. I'm with Delivering Innovation in Supportive Housing. I also wanted to 
offer my support. Um, I work in the Tenderloin and we, we serve uh, a number of formerly homeless adult individuals through a contract with the health department. And the lack of fresh, nutritious uh, resources is striking in the Tenderloin and, and Walgreens is clearly gonna make a difference around that. Um, I'm grateful to the work of Supervisor Chu and Supervisor Kim to address very directly the alcohol issues, um, which I think are, are minor uh, and, and are considerably outweighed um, by Walgreens, what the rest that it will bring to the community. Um, I know that Walgreens has already been a wonderful uh, participant and partner with uh, nonprofits and other community organizations in the Tenderloin. I'm sure we can count on Walgreens' commitment to continue to do so. And that's big too, a lot of the smaller stores can't uh, provide the resources to the community that Walgreens already has and has committed to continuing to do. So um, I thank you for your support and hope it will continue uh, across the board. I also wanted to thank Miguel uh, Torres and uh, Joe Garrity and, and their colleagues for all their great work, uh, often thankless, but much appreciated. Next speaker. Good morning. My name is Edward Algani. I bring you greetings from the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Michael Sharp is our president. Walgreen is an excellent employer for our city. It continues to be a pillow of our community, and we support them in their endeavor. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Dina Hilliard, and I'm the executive director of the North of Market Tenderloin Community Benefit District and 13-year resident of the Tenderloin. Um, Walgreens came to our organization. They came to a committee meeting. They came to a board meeting um, and presented their project. Um, they also attended a number of community meetings. Um, they uh, interfaced with some major stakeholders in the neighborhood, like the CBD, TNDC, um, the Alliance for a Better District 6. And they have supported a number of neighborhood events, and they continue <coughs> to do so. Um, so having said that, um, our board had a, a, a long discussion about the issue of, of supporting or opposing, um, and we decided that we don't support or oppose um, the sales of alcohol in the Tenderloin as in general. Um, what we do support are businesses that operate in a positive and responsible manner. Um, there are a number of corner stores in the neighborhood that are extremely problematic that do not have liquor license um, or, or the sale of alcohol. So it's not just the, the liquor license itself that, that is a concern for us. Um, but we do feel that after the extensive outreach that Walgreens did, that they um, adequately um, addressed some of the concerns of the neighborhood and the police department around security. Um, and we do feel that they're gonna operate this business in a responsible way, including training their employees on the responsible sales of alcohol. Um, and additionally, the availability of fresh, affordable, healthy food will greatly serve the residents. Um, and we are pleased that Walgreens has diligently worked with the community to address um, the concerns as well as with the supervisors. Um, we look forward to continuing a partnership that will greatly impact the neighborhood. Um, and I do want to say I did have an opportunity to visit the Chicago flagship store. I was there visiting family. Um, and it's really something to see. And I do think that it will be a major boost in the economic development of the area, just um, the flagship store in general. So I look forward to their opening. Thanks. Thank you. Next speaker. Good morning, supervisors. Um, 
for the sales of the uh, alcohol, um, I don't think they should have it because it's plenty of other places, just like Target got theirs and all those things and talking about they, you know, they won't sell six packs and all that stuff. And now we're going to have a CVS going up there on 7th and Market, so they'll be asking for a liquor license. So when will it end? But also, I'd like to say I used to use Walgreens a lot for my medical, I mean, for my prescriptions. But Walgreens, if you look in this area, and the unions and the SROs seem to be supporting um, this Walgreens thing, there's only two African Americans that I've seen working in Walgreens in this gentleman's district that I that I go to, I go to a lot of them. It's only two African-Americans and that's on the one on the Vanessa uh, market there. And also with the new rewards card, I stopped going there because of that. Because if you don't look at what you're doing and you go in that store and buy something for $3 and your reward points are $5, where's those other $2 going? You just lose them. So um, I have issues around that. And um, the, just like I said, the unions are supporting this and stuff. And but you have to look at where it's going, what district it's going into, and what area. And there are a lot of people, even in SROs, that need jobs and want to better themselves. And this, you know, it's it's only two African Americans I've seen. If if you could find some more for me, please tell me. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, I'm Susie Wong with San Francisco Network Ministries. So I think the thing that concerned me the most about it was just the sheer volume of alcohol that would be sold because, as Supervisor Chu pointed out, it's a big store, and the square footage of even at 4% is still a lot of alcohol. Um, with the changes that you're proposing uh, that Walgreens has seemed to agree to, I think I'd be willing to support. The one caveat is that um, the transfer of 135 Eddy license, it was a store that was out of business. So it was not taking away current liquor sale in the tenderloin. So it, it could have gone back in, the person who bought the license could have put it back into business anywhere in the city. So it's not strictly a tenderloin issue. So um, with your suggested change, Supervisor Chu, that there is another license that's taken out of, of operation, I would like to be sure that it is a license that is in an operation in the Tenderloin, and that would make a difference. So thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. <coughs> Hello, my name is Susan Bryan. Um, I'm with the Alliance for Better District 6. Um, now, a lot of these issues have been, uh, like, resolved, some of them, but uh, I would like to point out that many pharmaceutical and prescription drugs have included inserts that alcohol would be dangerous in combination with these, uh, these, these prescriptions. And um, I would talk about the inadvisability of having a, a drugstore sell alcohol for that reason. Uh, it sets... Um, it sets kind of a bad example, just like tobacco did when we got them to not sell tobacco anymore in the drugstores. And, uh, you know, we ha we've had a theme today, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, you know, <laughs> and all of them kill people. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, 
And also I'd like to talk about the management of Walgreens. Uh, I talked with my daughter this morning, and uh, she has many people that she knows in Walgreens in Indiana. And so uh, their corporate-wide uh, practices should be examined a little more carefully. They've recently had, uh, where my daughter lives in the town, a kind of hollowing out of management. Uh, what they did was they, a lot of managers that had been there a while had been making careers of it, all of a sudden either were fired or, uh, as my daughter said, making, their lives were made so miserable they quit. So there's, there's sort of a hollowing out of certain, of certain amount of management. And, uh, and also new managers are brought in that will work for less money. Another thing is doctors are feeling that Walgreens has become heavy-handed. When my son-in-law went to the doctor, the doctor handed him a list of pharmacies that were not Walgreens that would take his, take his um, uh, insurance. I think this is kind of important. I don't know the thinking behind it, but I would ask, uh, I would inquire at, to ask the doctors what's, you know, if they feel they're being encouraged to prescribe differently or, uh, anyway, well, my time is almost up, but thank you for, please look at these things. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. Supervisors, Mr. Chair, President. My name is Otto Duffy. I live a few blocks away. I'm active in a number of organizations in the neighborhood, some of the service providers. Um, let's think about Walgreens. It's true that uh, a lot of the denizens of the neighborhood do shop at Walgreens and are able to, it's, it's a price point that they're able to get service at and they're, uh, you know, feel at home at. It, we, we do do, my people like me do do a lot of shopping at Walgreens. Um, and particularly now that um, the, they're getting a little more competition from the dollar stores and CVS and foods go a little bit further away, the prices have actually come down a, a little bit. Um, they're in business to make money and you know, you can get one item that's really nicely priced and then the next item is outrageously priced, so. But they do, but we, you know, it's not Bloomingdale's. We, we, it, is a, it is a service that even this flagship store will probably be one that we will feel at home to shop in. Uh, about the neighborhood, you know, it's the north of market. It's a very highly, very well-defined neighborhood defined by the north of the market planning coalition in 1980. It's uh, Post Street, Powell Street, Market Street, and, and uh, Van Ness. It's, it's not an obscurely defined neighborhood like the Mission. It has very strict boundaries. And I'll tell you, I'd be complaining bitterly, or at least as bitterly as possible, about the CVS, but the interesting thing about the CVS is it's across the street. It's not in the north of market. I'm, I'm half German, and maybe that's my German side. Uh, all of our district was in District 6 until all of our neighborhood. Um, now 10% of it is in District 3. I don't know if you'll really appreciate having, having us, but we'll, hopefully we can work together. Um, I would say that... Um, You know, I just went to a memorial service for a guy who died in my hotel, and you know, it's nice that for 15 or 20 years he was able to age in place. But on the other hand, you know, with the lack of uh, cooking facilities, 
you know, that affects how a person ages and how long they live. That's a, a, a drain on their life. And the idea that we're going to get some pre-cooked food from Walgreens, that that's going to offset it, it, it doesn't. And I would say that there was a time in the 1960s and 50s when uh, we had a, perhaps the country was in better shape. I would say there was a time back then when big corporations like Walgreens paid taxes. You know, and I would say that I appreciate all the work that you've done and the fact that we're going to get a second liquor license. If it was in the unit block of, of Turk Street, I think the whole neighborhood would appreciate that. If you could get that one in the unit block of Turk Street. But I guess we have to take what we can get. I appreciate the work that you put into this. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi. Um, I'm going to be using the overhead. Uh, fair warning. Uh, I did pack, send in some, pa some packets. First, I wanted to start with uh, this item, this one, which points out the question about for, uh, the uh, the. Uh, there were protests on, a, on the first alcohol license that Walgreens tried to get at that site, and it's good for one year. So that's where the 124 protests come in. They, we didn't have to go back to the community and get more. There's 124, so that's why they're good in the packet. So, you know, if ABC did not forward it to the ACL, the, the, the police, that's not my problem. The community has spoken through these protests. So they're legitimate. They should be still be counted on, you know, 124. Okay, so I mean, and, and the proof uh, is uh, ABC recognizes it uh, again, 124. Um, we're talking about we're not talking about a great store. We're talking about alcohol. This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about you know, all those things the store is going to offer. I mean, all the people that came up and spoke in favor of it, they talked about all the amenities and all that. Well, um, um, Target said the same thing. And uh, any store, destination store, is going to say the same thing. You know, we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing that. That's, that's the same thing. But it's going to hurt our small businesses. We're talking about over-concentration of alcohol licenses. Again, it's the same thing I said last time. Over-concentration of 800 off-sale liquor licenses already exist in the community. Um, and uh, um, I think the thing is that uh, I think um, I want to commend David Chu for his, uh, his wisdom um, because uh, we were again, dealing with CVS, so I think he understands where we're coming from. Um, and so uh, um, I think the thing is that, uh, again, the Alliance for a Better District 6 is just really concerned about public concerns, uh, and we've worked with various community groups, uh, and, you know, we just want to make sure that our voices are being heard, you know, and we do it on paper, not just come here and, you know, we could, we could have filled out up the, uh, this community room, but see, most of the people said, well, you're meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning, in the morning, you know, we, we want to, if it was at 6 o'clock at night, we'd be here. So it's the time of the meeting that kind of gets people not to come to the community, these, these hearings here at City Hall. Um, so, um, anyway, uh, uh, I just uh, 
hope that uh, the liquor license comes from the Tenderloin. Uh, the, the, our, our organization offered three of them to, uh, to a Walgreens to look at, and uh, maybe the, the other Thank two, you. one of those will be used. Thank you, Mr. Nolte. And, and just for the record, we, we are in receipt of the 124 letters of protest. That was part of the package. Thank you. Hello, Supervisors. My name is Stefano Castellano, and um, I'm one of the people that had a letter of protest initially. Um, but and, and obviously, for the, the concerns of the social conditions, the homelessness, the vagrancy, and um, the whole package, and the fact that the area um, doesn't appear to be underserved. However, I will say this: um, through the efforts for Alliance for Di Better District Six, um, the great communication line with the PD. Uh, and especially Officer Van Cole. Um, with the communication uh, through the supervisors, I will say this. I think we're in a better place now, so I'm going to withdraw my protest. And I, I want to say the, thank you, special thanks to Supervisor uh, Chu for providing the clarification that, that, that I needed uh, for some of the items that were uncertain. I mean, initially this thing was proposed at 2.8%, 3.3%, 10%, 5%, 4%. I think that that is a compromised term given the size and scope of the store, given the diversity of the products that the store offers, uh, given all the safeguards that Walgreens puts in. And, and I don't direct this, uh, my opposition towards Walgreens per se. I direct it towards sometimes the consumers in the area who do buy the product. And, and although it's sold responsibly to them, sometimes they um, behave badly or irresponsibly. And then what happens is our resources are drained in the city to try to cope with this. Um, and so th this is where, where I really had to come to terms with this. So um, I think we should move forward with the project. Uh, I applaud the supervisors for uh, coming up with the mitigated terms with the community. And uh, my hat's off to Alliance for Better District 6 for doing a lot of the groundwork. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Overhead, please. This is in your board packet. Um, this is uh, describing the, um, the uh, uh, license itself and uh, over concentration and you already have a president in 2007 for taking <coughs> stopping a off-sale liquor licenses license from um, um, uh, public convenience my name is John Nolte and I was part of that one too and so we do have a president says you can uh, with the three conditions that were needed it will not serve the, the public convenience of the city and county of San Francisco, number one. Number two, a high crime plot, which is three times normal, which is for your thing. Then number two is eight times normal ABC off-site license. Um, those all meet with your requirements, and you did back in 2007, and none of your board members were there for that. Stop. A type 21. I'm going to get on point here. You weren't there. So uh, your predecessor stopped a 21 from coming in on Market Street, Bristol Farms. So, and it was a type 21. So uh, it's the same situation here. You have a, a high-density uh, neighborhood. Uh, the, 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 it meets the requirements that the board had at the time. And so you can, and it's in your power, being heard in committee, to withdraw this license from the community. They, 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 they boiled it down to, 
to uh, 4% of their square foot usage, but also stated in our packet that 3% of their gross inc uh, income is going to come from this liquor license. That's a very small margin for a big store and for a big chain. So they really don't really need this license. So I think it's even better just to say, take it away because they've already, as said earlier, uh, did not take a license from the neighborhood. And the proposal of having one come um, 90 days or so later, as Mr. Chu uh, said in negotiations, um, uh, they snarled at our, our requests working with them. Uh, when we asked, told them about the CBS, what we had done uh, to get another liquor license, but then it was too wisdom to bring it back in, but uh, they didn't bring it to tell us to the community. And this last minute issue to continue from um, our last meeting of February the 7th that we had here, and I showed all those things on, on uh, that, the, again, David Chu covered um, uh, uh, in pictures of their store of what was going on currently uh, while they were operating. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Next speaker, please. Uh, good morning, supervisors. My name is Douglas Yap. Uh, I would like to speak in opposition to this item. Uh, if I remember correctly, Walgreens had a tough time selling cigarettes. In my opinion, Cigarettes and liquor are pretty near the top of the list in terms of killing people. So theoretically, if you're going to give them a bad time about selling tobacco, then why are we helping them sell liquor? If I remember correctly, the duty of our leaders is to protect the citizens. So if you're going to do something like this and you're going to send mixed messages, Usually, thoughtful citizens will ask the question, why, to, why do we prevent them from selling tobacco, but yet we're going to allow them to sell liquor? In my opinion, it's called politics. Walgreens has a presence in this city, and they could twist as many arms as they want, while the tobacco manufacturers are back east, and they can't come out here and obviously twist the same arms. So if we want to be consistent, and if we want to protect the citizens of San Francisco, I say we should do it the same way. Walgreens obviously survives without selling tobacco. I'm pretty sure they're going to survive without selling liquor. Now, if you're going to do it the other way, if you're going to let them sell liquor, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't prohibit them from selling tobacco. So if you're going to go ahead with this one, then I would like to suggest, and I'm sure Walgreens is not going to oppose it, that you let them sell tobacco. So I say, let's be consistent, let's not let politics, politics influence the decision today. So I say do it one way or the other, but be consistent. And lastly, I would like to thank this committee for holding this hearing.
because according to my record keeping, there's been far too many canceled committee hearings in City Hall lately. So I would like to thank this committee for having this hearing because you are doing the people's work, which is more than I could say for those committees that have a habit for canceling it. If you ask me, we should dock them pay every time they get canceled. Thanks. Thank you. Is there any other member of the public who would like to speak? Seeing. Good morning, uh, Supervisors. I'm Officer Mike Torres, uh, representing uh, Captain uh, Garrity from the Tenderline Police Station. Uh, we met with Walgreens uh, and had several meetings with them, uh, and Captain Garrity asked me to relay that he's in full support of this uh, application, that it would be good for the, uh, the district. Uh, just a little background about Walgreens. Uh, they were issued a liquor license back in 1959, and uh, that liquor license was surrendered in 2004. Uh, they've had a liquor license for many, many years, and we have not had any significant problems with their liquor license when they had it back then. So uh, that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you very much, officer. Uh, is there any other member of the public who would like to speak? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, President Chu. Thank you, Mr. Chair. First of all, I want to thank all the parties that have been involved in this conversation, from Walgreens to the San Francisco Police Department, uh, to members of the community. And let me first address uh, the issue that was raised around the overall citywide policy around allowing drug stores to, to sell alcohol. Some years back, we did decide as a city uh, that drug stores shouldn't sell tobacco. And I do want to state publicly that I am open to a citywide policy that that should also apply to liquor licenses. Um, now, that being said, we do not yet have that city policy. And so from my perspective, I do think uh, it's important for us to treat uh, our activities with drug stores consistently. As I said, uh, CBS and others uh, have received liquor licenses in the past. Uh, but from my perspective, I do think it is important to thoroughly condition and mitigate the situation, uh, which is why I have uh, asked our colleagues to consider the conditions uh, that I've discussed. But I do want to make it clear, I think it is a worthy conversation that we ought to consider. And I know the planning department is thinking about uh, whether it does make sense uh, for this type of liquor license to be allowed to drugstores in the future. I also want to take a moment and thank all the neighborhood groups that have come here, not just within my district, but the Alliance for a Better District 6, the Tenant Associations Coalition of San Francisco, the North of Market Business Association. You helped to raise a number of issues that I do think have been addressed with the conditions and mitigations that we're talking about here, whether it be square footage, dropping that below the 5% number, which I had heard from many of your organizations, whether it be ensuring that alcohol sales not be continued to midnight, but continued only to 10 p.m. Uh, for those uh, nights uh, that have an awful lot of public safety uh, and other neighborhood activities, and then ensuring that there actually be a net positive impact with Walgreens being able to receive this liquor license, I think, are captured here. So with that, colleagues, uh, I'd like to ask two things. First of all, that the letter provided by Walgreens that reflect their commitment to the community be included in the record along with some of the other documents we've received from the neighborhoods. And then I would ask that the conditions that I've described that Walgreens have agreed to be included as part of the conditions that are approved in this matter uh, and then ask you to move this to the board. Thank you, President Chu. Supervisor Marr. Thank you. I'm, I'm strongly supportive of uh, our President Chu's um, work and Supervisor Kim's office as well to make sure that we're protecting the safety of the area um, and really conscious of the overabundance of alcohol permits, especially in, um, 
heavily concentrated areas with crime and um, alcohol abuse as well. I think these compromises or, or these um, improvements address many of the concerns raised by um, residents. I see this as a compromise. I also support broader level thinking about how we uh, protect the public from overconsumption of alcohol as well. Um, I know the area well because H&M um, is a favorite of my daughter. <clears throat> so coming out of H&M, we've witnessed um, purse snatchings and all kinds of crime. I think the external cameras that are part of this will really help significantly. Um, I'm also a fan of TADS across the street too. So I, I do know the area with the new parklets and I think the addition of the flagship store of Walgreens will really increase that area of Union Square. Um, I really want us to focus on safety of the tenderloin and the areas around it as well. And I think this, um, um, the alcohol license to allow within nine months of the purchase of a second one is really an important measure to protect the public safety as well. I wanted to thank um, UFCW, uh, Mr. Algani as well for raising the issue that 30 new union jobs will be created and that I think overall in weighing the benefits that this is a, uh, there's a lot of benefits to the neighborhood and hopefully we'll focus also on the Tenderloin and other areas of District 6 to protect the public safety as well. So I'll be supportive of this. Thank you. Great. Um, just want to again thank every member of the public who's come out uh, and again, uh, Thank especially the members of the community uh, from both District 6 and District 3 that have come to, uh, to share their thoughts. You know, the thing about alcohol and, and, and the role that it can play or should play in a neighborhood, I think that the conversation should be very neighborhood specific. I know that uh, I represent District 9 and within District 9 we have in the Mission District, we have uh, an alcohol special use district that has been in place for a number of years that creates restrictions on, on sort of what kind of business can go in there. Uh, anytime you place limitations, there are unintended consequences. So we're dealing with tweaking that as well. But the point here is that what works in one neighborhood uh, may not necessarily work in another, and, and that whatever you come up with is something that should be uh, reflective of what the, the neighborhood needs and what the community wants. Uh, what I see here is a compromise that, that strikes, uh, I think, a good balance among the various interests. Uh, and uh, with something like this, I do think that a great deal of deference uh, should be given to the district supervisor in the community uh, who understand and know the issues on the ground better than those of us who don't, you know, represent that district. Um, so with that, I, uh, and by the way, on a couple of points, uh, I, I know that, uh, and I would, I would expect Walgreens to continue to work with the community uh, if this is approved to continue to work with the district supervisor and uh, it's great to see that there will be 30 union jobs that will be created and I imagine that Walgreens will make sure that we have as diverse a population in terms of the workforce as we possibly can and would encourage that. Uh, and you know, kudos to, uh, to uh, the community groups and especially Alliance for uh, Better District 6. Uh, and uh, my hope is that as some of these items come forward that people will actually have, uh, do the work of reaching out on the front end uh, and not the, the back end because I think it just moves it, it moves it a lot more quickly and it's in the end a better result. So with that, if I can have a motion with the two caveats that one, uh, the letter that was circulated by President Chu uh, be included in the record and two, that the conditions that were read into the record uh, are part of the approval. Uh, if we can so have that motion, so we have a motion by Supervisor Marr, uh, if we can take that without objection.
And again, I also want to acknowledge the work of the San Francisco Police Department Inspector Officer. Thank you very much for your work, and uh, thank you to the community members uh, who are here. And thank you, Walgreens, and good luck. Uh, Madam Clerk, is there any other business before this committee? Mr. Chair, there's no further business. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Francisco Government Television.